Welcome to the Nourished Brain Solutions Podcast, where we leverage the power of whole foods-based integrative nutrition to optimize health, mood, energy, and the gut-brain connection. I'm Sarah Fahara, an integrative and functionally-minded registered dietitian and owner of Nourished Brain Solutions in upstate New York. Let's get you nourished. Britton Coleman, MS, RDN, LD, is a dietitian specializing in autism spectrum disorders and is also a sibling of an individual on the autism spectrum. Through her life and her studies, she realized how much overlap there is between nutrition and autism. During graduate school at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center, she specialized in autism spectrum disorders and led her thesis research in food aversions and nutrient intake in children with ASD. There are very few dietitians specializing in ASD across the country, which makes accessibility extremely low. Because of this, she offers video and phone consults to parents and individuals all over the nation to increase the reach of nutrition therapy and nutrition education for families and individuals affected by ASD. She is extremely knowledgeable about autism in relation to diet, biomedical interventions, food selectivity, food sensitivities, gastrointestinal disorders, and even nutrigenetics. So it is such a pleasure to have you here with us, Britton, to take a deep dive into nutrition and autism spectrum disorder. So welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on here today. Yes, you're so welcome. So let's kick off. Um, If you could just tell us a little bit about your background in your bio, you know, mentioned you have a, you have a brother um, who has been, been on this spectrum. So tell us a little more about where you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I am originally from Oklahoma. Uh, You know, you said University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center, Um, but I currently live in San Francisco, California with my husband. And uh, we've been living here for about a little over a year now, but I have been doing my own private practice called Autism Dietitian uh, for a little over two years now. And beforehand, I was working and I worked in both the uh, clinical setting for adults uh, inpatient. And then I also worked for an outpatient clinic for children with developmental disabilities in Oklahoma City. Um, and then after that is when I started my own business. But autism and nutrition has always been something that's so close to me and so dear to me. I, like you said, I have a brother that's on the spectrum. So he is 24 now. He was diagnosed when he was around two. Uh, The crazy thing is, so my mom is a psychologist and she was already involved in autism spectrum disorders and that's her specialty. And so whenever he was two, she was able to recognize those early signs of autism and get him the help he needed. So it was, you know, it was a perfect thing for him because he got that early intervention that he needed and um, started in speech and OT and ABA. And I mean, you name it. He also had a dietitian, which is um, really exciting yeah. because autism and nutrition really isn't a huge, uh, you know, wasn't a huge field then. And so uh, he did a lot of diet changes and biomedical interventions, which 20 years ago is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we haven't had uh, that available. <laughs> I mean, wow. it still can be hard to find sometimes now. So, um, 
But anyway, so I just saw the change that it made in him throughout his lifetime and uh, the development that he uh, he had, whether it was socially or cognitively and diet change and nutrition supplements and biomedical treatment was just a huge part of that, which was so exciting to see that, that it can make such a huge difference. And I was impacted by that too. Uh, siblings can be impacted gut-wise and uh, just all these other different ways that just the typical population isn't affected. So um, I also had to get my nutrition in line too. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to combine the two when I went into school to become a dietitian and um, have done so. Yeah, wow. wow. So this has been with you for a long time. You've been a thinking about nutrition yeah, so for many I've years. been involved in the autism community for, um, I guess, a little over 20 years now since mm-hmm. he was two and he got diagnosed and is 24 now. Wow. So both through your own personal experience and the experiences of those who you work closely with in your community, in your practice, what are some of the main challenges that individuals, kids, families are facing when it comes to nutrition and feeding? Yeah. So with autism, the main thing I would say would be feeding. Um, It's really common for kids with autism to have picky eating or food selectivity. Uh, The reason being that a lot of kids with autism, I mean, Part of that is sensory sensitivity. And with autism, you can also have a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder, or you can just have some sensory issues in general. When you think about eating, it is one of the most sensory rich experiences that you can have. I mean, you smell the food, you taste it, you feel the crunch in your mouth, you're feeling the texture, um, the temperature. I mean, all of these things together you think about it from a sensory standpoint, if you have some sort of sensory processing disorder, that's going to be extremely overwhelming. And so it can be really hard for kids who one can't explain, they might be nonverbal, but also who just have sensory processing disorder and just can't figure out how to manage all of those senses together. And so a lot of times what will happen is they get hooked on either packaged food or, uh, fast food or something like that, where they know what to expect from a sensory Mm. profile. It's going to be the same every time, you know, Mm -hmm. a McDonald's French fry is a McDonald's French fry and it's going to be that way. Um, Or, you know, Pop-Tart is going to be the same every single time because, you know, it's engineered to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, both from uh, (laughs) um, sugary or salty or crunchy, whatever, you know, profile that is, they're hooked on it, but also they can expect what's coming next. And Mm. it just becomes a really hard thing to get them to try new foods because of that. Hmm. So with some of those foods you're mentioning, it's as if there's less complexity to process. Mm -hmm. Mm, Right. That's interesting. Absolutely. From a sense, I mean, People, I'm just picking on McDonald's right now just because <laughs> um, I mentioned it before, but there are so many food scientists at McDonald's that mm. their job is to make that perfect crunch on right. that french fry and yep. that perfect salty taste. And they want that to release dopamine and they want you to eat that. So, I mean, those are addicting mm. to anybody. They're mm-hmm, delicious. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> whenever you do have some sort of sensory processing issue, it's going to be even more so addicting because 
um, from a sensory standpoint, it's perfect, but yeah. from a nutrient standpoint, it's awful. Okay. So, yep. um, that's, that becomes a big, big issue. And it's kind of the, the thing that starts it all a lot of times is, uh, the, the selective eating. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening? Um, when I'll just say child, and then if mm-hmm. you want to add to that, when a child is struggling with sensory processing disorder and picky eating, how does that manifest? What are you seeing if someone comes to you, say, in your practice? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? Yeah. So um, I will start saying I, I specialize in children, pediatrics. Mm, okay. I do see some young adults as well mm-hmm. because they're still struggling. If yeah. they weren't given early intervention with eating or whatever it may be, they just are still having a hard time with it. And so, um, I try to help out parents or young adults too, if I can. Um, but I usually do see kids. Um, I would say two to 10 is my most, uh, populated age. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what ends up happening is, so let's say that you get hooked on all of these processed foods. You're only eating these foods that, um, will accommodate your sensory processing issues and now you're eating crackers and chips and french fries and chicken nuggets and um, pasta. Mm. First of all, we had to think about, well, and kids on the spectrum, a lot of times we call these the blonde foods because they only like to eat foods that are blonde or tan. It's really interesting. So um, if you just take a look at their diet, a lot of times it's just one, one color. So, mm-hmm. um, but what we know about that is when we don't have a diversity of color, we're missing out on so many nutrients and with those foods, we're missing out on so much fiber and it's a lot of just processed carbohydrates that can cause blood sugar imbalances and can feed yucky bacteria in the gut and mm. uh, yeast overgrowth and things like that, that we just need to be thinking about what nutrients um, and what food is feeding that child's body and more importantly how is that food feeding the microbiome and how does that relate to the brain so Mm -hmm. um the the major issue there i see is microbiome disruption and imbalance of bacteria like dysbiosis or overgrowth of or overgrowth of yeast in the gut a lot of times i'll see candida and i test for those too i can go into more detail about that but Mm -hmm. um, the next thing that's usually disrupted is the gut biome Okay, got it. So when you see kids, how often are they having digestive issues? Oh, I would say 90% of the kids that come to me mm-hmm. um, have some sort of GI issue and mm-hmm. almost always it's constipation. And uh-huh. I see diarrhea sometimes in kids with autism, but I mean, almost always it's constipation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I mean, they're not getting enough fiber that, you know, mm-hmm. to help them mm-hmm. pass that mm-hmm. stool. A lot mm-hmm. of times it's lack of fiber that's causing that. And then, I mean, on top of that, other GI other issues GI that are issues, underlying yeah. there, but yeah. fiber being the, the main thing. Yeah. So let's start to think a little bit about um, individualized care for yeah. kids with autism. Because, you know, you as I, you and I as dietitians, you know, I mean, there's some, there's some general guidelines that apply to many people or most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think, you know, we both, 
also see the value of really individualized protocols, you know, specific foods and recipes and supplementation, things like that. So when you're working with ASD, where do you really see the general guidelines working? Like eat more fiber, right? Lots of fruits and vegetables, color. And where do you find that you often really need to individualize things for people? Right. So there are general guidelines that work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More fiber, Mm -hmm. the right amount of protein, the right amount of calories. Um, I mean, to their core, they're human and and still need the same Mm -hmm. same requirements as everybody else. Um, But when it comes to diet, we have to really look at, and this goes for anybody too, but we have to look at gut profile. We can look at genetic makeup and how they break down their nutrients. Um, We need to look at how selective their diet is and what nutrients are they missing out on? Mm. Do we need to, if diet's not going to be an immediate change, can we use supplements to help them with that? And then again, we have to think about um, from a genetic profile, what supplements do they need and Mm. how can they absorb those their best. Mm-hmm. And then we have to think about their current nutrient stores. I mean, there's so many things that we have to think about before we can prescribe um, an individualized diet and an individualized supplement regimen for these kiddos. Um, they also are more likely because they have more gut issues, they're more likely to have food sensitivities too. And so uh. just a typical diet may not be appropriate for them because it could feature a lot of foods that they have sensitivities to. Okay. Yep. Okay. So you mentioned, Britain, that the microbiome is really important in autism. And then you just mentioned the idea of a gut profile. So for anyone who's not familiar with what the microbiome is, um, can you just give us a little bit of information about why that's important to autism? You know, what it is about our guts that seems to really make a difference. Absolutely. So we all have trillions and trillions and trillions of bacteria that live inside our gut. And um, there's certain bacteria that live in the small intestine and there are certain bacteria that live in the large intestine. But a majority of that bacteria does live um, in the large intestine. And so what we're able to see, a lot of the research within the past oh, 15 to 20 years, which isn't a long time for mm-hmm. research. I mean, it's it's a long time when you think about it, but for research, we usually typically want a lot longer than that. Mm-hmm. But it's just, right. um, there's so much coming out now that we need to be you know, researching and studying that we just didn't know before. And mm-hmm. so the importance between the bacteria in our brain has been being studied in the gut-brain connection. So those bacteria that live in our gut, we want the very best bacteria. There are certain strains of bacteria that are better for our gut and we would rather see there because they help keep our gut healthy. They help us digest our food. They help keep our immune system strong. I mean, there's so many things that they're they're doing, but then we can also have bad bacteria. And depending on your environment or your diet or um a lot of things that happen to you throughout your lifetime that can shape the bacteria that you have in your gut. Like if you were a C-section baby or if you were born vaginally or if you were breastfed or all these things that start so early on in life that can actually have a big impact on your um, gut biome. So 
what we're seeing is that those good bacteria are very, very helpful for us and can help us be optimally healthy. But those bad bacteria can release different toxins. They can release different gases even Mm -hmm. and can cause a lot of inflammation in the gut. And that's not just localized to the gut, but whenever we start having that much inflammation there, um, it can start to inflame those gastrointestinal cells. And whenever Mm -hmm. those cells are inflamed and puffy, I mean, think of anything that's um, infected or inflamed, they can start to spread out. And what happens is you can have these tiny, tiny little perforations in the gut, which can lead to what's called leaky gut, which I see in a lot of my clients, not Mm -hmm. all of them. um, But whenever we do have those little tiny perforations, things like toxins or uh, toxic gases or uh, food proteins even can bypass that barrier. And it shouldn't be, it should be completely closed. There should not be any opening in the gastrointestinal tract. So Mm -hmm. um, what we see is like a lot of those bacteria or toxins can cross over that blood brain barrier. Um, They can travel through the vagus nerve. There's so many ways that they can get to the brain and cause issues with cognition, issues with focus, or even verbalization and uh, massive brain fog and developmental uh, or development as well. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. um, we really have to look at the gut first when we think about brain, especially in this population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like Um, you know, in ASD, one of the really big causes for an an altered gut microbiome or collection of bacteria really is a lack of, both a lack of diversity Mm -hmm. and then possibly, you know, of course, not enough good fuel for the good bacteria, not enough fiber, but also it sounds like just having some of those um, more processed foods that can also wreak, wreak havoc. Right. Is that right? Are those the big things you think that cause some trouble sometimes? Anything else that you see? Yeah. I mean, I link everything back to the gut. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just, everything comes back to the gut and that goes for any person, but especially Mm. for autism. I mean, we're just really, the research is pointing to um, dysbiosis and all of these things going on in the gut that it's impossible to ignore. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, diet, it starts with, it could start with diet, um, but it could also start with, let's say we have, uh, a child who was born C-section. I mean, I was born right. C-section you can't control that a lot yeah. of the time, but you do miss out on some bacteria, uh, whenever you pass through the vaginal canal, you miss, or you get so much bacteria from your mom. Mm. Um, and let's say that they had an infection when they were born and had to be on antibiotics antibiotics can't choose, you know, they're going to wipe out the whole gut and you're not going to have those good bacteria. A lot of times we'll see bad bacteria yeast grow back in there. Um, you're kind of just set up to have a bad gut profile, not saying that that causes autism at all, but that's a common story that I hear in a lot of my kiddos. They've been on multiple Mm -hmm. rounds of antibiotics. They have had a very selective diet their entire life. Um, they've struggled with chronic ear infections, with chronic strep infections, all these other things. And then they around two to three years old, they develop autism as well. It's a common story that I see. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, think about the common denominator. Common denominator yeah. is gut health. Is gut <laughs> so, health? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I always yeah. just bring it back to the gut. Yeah. So really one of the reasons why individualized care matters so much is you, you want to know how much attention to put on mm-hmm. gut health. And specifically, now we're at the point where 
we can individualize strategies to intervene, right? Whether there's overgrowth or poor growth of different bacteria, because that's what you're doing with those gut profiles, right? Is taking a snapshot to see what's there and what's low and what's high. Is that is that correct? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's so important that we're able to see the data because yes. before we could see the data or before we had access to you know those labs or we even knew that that's something that we'd want to test with, a lot of times practitioners who would see kids with autism would just have one protocol that all of them would follow or one diet that all of them would follow. And mm-hmm. you know what? It helped a lot of people, but there's still this huge subset of clients just didn't work for the yes. gluten-free casein-free diet didn't work for some kids. It yeah. does work for other kids. Yeah. Um, it's a higher likelihood that it'll work for kids on the spectrum because we see that a lot that they have food sensitivities to gluten and dairy, but I have clients who have done it for years and never noticed a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's important that we don't just throw one blanket approach at them because there are so many things that in so many moving parts, you know, mm-hmm. nutrient deficiency and gut issues and their specific diet and genetic makeup, all these things, it wouldn't work for everybody mm-hmm. if you just did one approach. And so mm-hmm. that's what I really press in my my practice is that we have to have an individualized approach because all these kids are so different. You know, it's called an autism spectrum for a reason. It's not um, just one diagnosis. There are so many diagnoses in between. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one kid with severe autism who's nonverbal is not even close to the same as a child who maybe is high high functioning, um, not technically Asperger's syndrome anymore. It's still under the autism spectrum, but it's just a different subtype of autism. So you can't treat them the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot more <laughs> we could say about individualized care, but I want to actually ask you a little more about the um, uh, so the biomedical piece, you know, biomedical testing, and how that comes into your individualized approach. Um, just so people understand a little more what resources might be out there and what you can do with the information. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the most common panel I run is called the GI map, and that is a stool analysis. And it looks at the amount of DNA of whatever particular pathogen that we're measuring. So it tells us very specifically if there are, uh, you know, what bacteria living in the gut, whether it's good or bad, looking at parasites, looking at, um, you know, the phyla, the bacteria, it looks at the bad bacteria that we don't want living there, fungi and yeast and viruses and um, even digestive function and GI markers and immune response and leaky gut and all these other things that just one stool sample can tell us. And so that is one that I always do with my clients. Um, I, I love to start that as our baseline because there is so much lying there in the gut mm-hmm. that I want to look there first. So the GI map is my staple that I do with um, nearly all of my clients. And then some other testing that I offer, um, one is called SpectraCell. And SpectraCell offers a micronutrient panel. And through that micronutrient panel, you're able to test 35 different vitamins and minerals. And look at intracellular storage of these nutrients instead of extracellular like serum. Um, intracellular is a better marker long-term of our nutrient stores. And so um, we're able to look at those vitamins and minerals. And then I also like to do an omega 
check as well mm. so that we can look at omega stores because those are commonly low in kids on the spectrum. Um, and then I also use food sensitivity testing. I use a test called the MRT, the mediator release test. And why that's so special instead of just testing IgG antibodies, which is what a lot of food sensitivity tests will do. It tests IgG, IgA, IgM, and T cell reaction. Um, so it looks at inflammation response and not, um, not just one particular antibody. And that is a lot more accurate than just testing one antibody. Um, it doesn't test IgE, that's allergy, but um, that's always just a routine blood draw that we can do at their physician's office. Um, and then I also do some labs from Great Plains. Great Plains offers a panel called the OAT panel, organic acids test, and um, that will... It, it's almost an indirect way of looking at what bacteria or what yeast is in the gut. It measures the metabolites of those bacteria and yeast instead of measuring um, the DNA. So it's just looking at a different uh, way, like what toxins are they producing? What toxic gases are they producing? So um, it's a lot of great information. You can just... Uh, they, they match together really well, which is nice. Um, but through Great Plains, you can also do a toxic metals panel, which I do for my clients. To be honest, I don't, um, I know the autism community really sees uh, or really values heavy metals, um, but it's not something I commonly see in hmm. my clients. Um, but it's always good to rule it out. So, and then the last thing that I can do through Great Plains is test for um, environmental toxins. So mm -hmm. thinking about uh, pesticides and what, you know, what toxins are coming through in the water or contaminants and um, all of these other things that might be affecting a child environmentally that we could change. So wow. there's so much that we can do. Stuff. Oh, and genetic panel too. And genetic, um, That's yeah. the last thing. So yep, yep. with SpectraCell, I can test for the MTHFR gene, which is... Yep. Um, a gene that affects the way that we, we metabolize folate and folic acid. Mm -hmm. uh, that is commonly affected in kids on the spectrum. But I can also do a separate panel that I, uh, if they have 23andMe data or Ancestry.com data, I can take the raw data and run it through what's called pure genomics, mm -hmm. which is a system by Pure Encapsulations, which is a really great supplement company, um, very pure and clean products. And it helps us analyze what specific products they should be using. They don't have to be pure encapsulations, but um, just from a diet and supplement standpoint, what we should be focusing on. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. It just kind of gives us a cause. It doesn't show us results um, that could be used immediately. Well, what I mean by that, I guess, is it doesn't show us the stores of nutrients. It just right. shows us the path that they're taking to get there. Yes, so yes. it's just a helpful piece of information that gives we can use. Yeah, it gives you clues. Okay, I want to ask you, because I mean, it sounds like you have so many incredible tools that you're integrating in. So I want to ask you specific questions about a couple of these. Is that okay sure. to dive in? Absolutely. So you mentioned the omega panel that you're looking at fatty acids. So I'm mm -hmm. curious, what are the most common imbalances that you see with fatty acid status and why does it matter in ASD? Great question. Yeah. So with the omega check, it will look at total blood omega and then it'll also break it down into um, like omega threes and omega sixes. Mm -hmm. And then it'll also look at, um, 
you know, all these just different pieces of it. A lot of times what I'll see is that Omega check as a whole, which is total blood, EPA plus DHA and EPA, all those together, I see that almost always is low. And um, there was a really recent study. I'll have to, let me see if I can find it so I can send it to you. But it was um, looking at three groups of kids um, or two groups of kids, one kid um, or one group had autism spectrum disorder and the other group did not and they took the same amount of 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 omega fatty acids over the same amount of time and they saw that in the typical population the number for their omegas grew appropriately it was you know trending upward but in kids with autism, it actually was not doing that as quickly. They were um, absorbing them a lot slower and those stores were growing a lot slower. And so um, there must be, you know, what they were saying is there must be some sort of issue digesting or metabolizing omega fatty acids in kids mm. with autism, whether they can't do it appropriately or um, maybe they have gut issues that are impairing the absorption of that or they can't break them down because they don't have the digestive enzymes or whatever's going on, wow. um, a lot of times kids with autism just have lower stores of omega fatty acids. And so um, being able to see that total omega number is really helpful so that we can decide what uh, uh, you know what amount we need to be giving because mm-hmm. um, some kids just need a lot more than others enabled so that they can keep that omega check high and in normal range. So when it's low, um, if anyone here has ever... Uh, been low in omega fatty acids, it doesn't feel good. It's mm. so fatigued. You can just feel like you have so much brain fog. You feel tired. You feel grumpy. And yeah. you just yep. do not feel your best. Um, I I have had my omegas low. And the brain fog for me personally was so intense and I couldn't figure out what it was for the longest time. This was before I got into all of this. Mm. Um, But once I did and I corrected that, it just made such a huge difference for me personally that I couldn't even imagine what a child with autism would be feeling like if they already have some neurological issues going on. And then on top of that, they had some brain fog from, Mm. um, you know, omega fatty acids that could be repleted so easily. I mean, Right. It would just feel so awful. And I am so clouded and I just feel for them so much. Um, But it's something that we can fix and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, something that's so vital for development too. Um, Important for, you know, uh, fetuses to have omega fatty acids as well. I mean, it's just so important for cognitive development and functions. Yes. So those early years really matter. So this is really, I think, a good example with with omega-3s because they're really used during brain development where it really makes a lot of sense to have someone supporting you early on versus just trying to kind of do your best, you know, for years and years and years. Some things get really bad to seek out help because, you know, clearly this information that you're leveraging gives you priceless direction. With dosing and then where to look, right? What about with um, the MRT or with food sensitivities? What are some of the common imbalances that you see? Well, or common reactions, I should say, that you see there? What comes up a lot? Well, the most common is dairy. Mm. Everyone wants to think that gluten is the most common, but I am just, I'm surprised almost when I see (laughs) a dairy 
come back normal. Wow. And, um, and a lot of the research too shows us that kids with autism are more affected by dairy than gluten. So, hmm. and I believe it, I completely believe it. Huh. So, um, I think gluten is really problematic for a lot of kids, but not everybody. I mean, that goes for anything, but, mm. um, so I commonly see dairy triggered very high, um, gluten or gluten containing grains are often high. Um, soy, corn, corn is often very, very high as well. Um, mm. and a lot of times too, what the MRT does too, is it tests food chemicals yes. and that can be either artificial chemicals like dyes and, artificial sugars and things like that, but it can also test for chemicals that are naturally occurring. So, uh, for example, like, uh, solanine Mm -hmm. is a food chemical that is high in nightshades. So it can test specifically for that too. But a lot of times I'll see things like food dyes and, um, artificial sweeteners come back especially high now they're inflammatory for everybody but mm-hmm. it's especially inflammatory for a lot of kids on the spectrum um, I see that with ADHD too a lot of kids are very mm-hmm. very sensitive to artificial dyes and uh, flavors and mm-hmm. sweeteners and things like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so this really allows you to you know start an elimination diet on steroids almost right because yeah, I feel like yeah which is nice. Yeah, yes, yes. There's less guessing. Just get mm-hmm. to the root of it and design a plan, right? Design a plan. Yeah, and you know, it's so hard when I have a kid who's eating five to ten foods right? to say, okay, let's go on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet, oh. and all they're eating is bread and milk. So, yes. I mean, they're not just going to – a lot of people will say, ah, just take it out. You know, they'll start eating eventually. They'll eat when they're hungry. But when it comes to sensory sensitivity, that's not the case. They're not going to uh, give up. They're going to end up in the hospital or the ER because they are so dehydrated or they're malnourished because uh, it's not just a choice. It's um, There's more than that there. And mm-hmm. so you have to really realize that um, you can't just you know strip a kid who has sensory processing disorder or autism of all their foods because right. they're not going to eat no matter what. Right, so right. it's really important that you add before you take out. And so by doing the MRT too, it gives us an idea of what's necessary, what's not necessary. Let's not mess with something if it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's target it and find some alternatives that we can make and transition them onto new foods that mm-hmm. they could um, that they could tolerate. So a lot of times what I'll say to my clients is, right now we're making better choices. In the future, we're going to make our best choices because Mm -hmm. for a kid who's only eating chicken nuggets and French fries right now, um, and they're only McDonald's French fries or whatever it is, we can't go from eating that to just this perfect Mediterranean diet. You know, there's no way that that's going to happen. We just have to make some switches to make Mm. their constant. Like we can maybe switch over to an organic grilled chicken nugget instead, um, mm. you know, make those gradual changes. And if that's the food that's sustaining them the most, we're still making a big difference because right. we've changed yeah. over to a better option yeah. while we have the time to work on our best options. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, I think the MRT just gives me a way that I can target that and figure out what we need to prioritize and what we can maybe put on the back burner in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. So using both this approach 
with food where it can be really gradual, but also targeted and really strategic, bringing in supplementation as needed, integrating the finding from biomedical testing. Mm -hmm. What are some of the really, you know, benefits or outcomes that you see from approaching ASD in this way? Um, What is, what is the journey? So we've talked about diet quite a bit. Supplements are also a big part of that. And they're my short-term solution for when diet isn't an immediate, uh, we're not able to change it overnight. So Mm -hmm. I didn't touch on supplements, but I just want to give them a little shout out because getting the right supplements can be so huge for some kids, getting them the nutrients that they need or um, targeting that dysbiosis or yeast overgrowth in a very natural way um, that doesn't cause, you know, major die off or anything like Mm. that. So um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to supplements Mm -hmm. because uh, Mm -hmm. I use them a lot in my practice. I'm a minimalist with them, but when they're needed, oh, we use them and we use them appropriately. So um, both, you know, finding with the right diet and the right supplement makes a huge, huge difference for kids. And um, I've seen that both clinically in my practice and then, you know, also personally with my brother too. Mm. But I have a little uh, tab on my website. So if you go to autismdietitian.com, there's a little tab that says success stories. And I, of course, can't share all of those today, but yeah. that's a great way to just see what nutrition has done for a lot of my clients. And the main thing that a lot of people are saying is that their children are happier. They're more focused. Um, verbalization is a huge thing that I see, especially with the introduction of omega fatty acids. Mm. A lot of times children will start to make those connections and start um, either talking or babbling. Um, of course, I can't promise that for everybody, but I do see that quite a bit. Mm. And me- meeting a lot of their speech and occupational therapy goals quicker because that uh, – that groundwork of nutrition and, and treating the roots of everything else is going to help, you know, those, those flowers and those leaves flourish because yeah. you're giving the body the nutrient they need that right. the outcomes are going to be so much better. Um, immune system is generally a lot better. Um, mm. you know, getting sick a lot less often, Yeah, yep. but focus and cognition are two things that really improve. I can never claim that I'm going to solve or cure autism that's not what I do and that's if anyone tells you that run because Mm. that is um right now we don't know of a cure I wish I could cause uh, uh, or sorry I wish I could cure autism Mm -hmm. and um I would happily be out of a job if I could do that (laughs) but um right now the best we can do is just give the child these um you know set them up to just be their very best self Mm -hmm. and to feel their best Mm -hmm. and have their healthiest GI possible Mm -hmm. and have, you know, the healthiest brain and just the healthiest body that they can. And so that's, that's what I want for my clients and um, gastrointestinal issues is another thing I specialize in. I mean, getting them regular is um, my goal. I want them to feel their very best GI wise too. And so there are just so many, it depends on the person, but there are just so many, um, benefits that you can see. And so it's different for every person and what you're struggling with, but I just love seeing the kid happier and Mm. feel better Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, just the parents happier because they feel like their child is getting the right nutrients. They're eating more, they're eating a wider variety. They're going to the bathroom um, daily and it's not, you know, causing some major pain or, um, you know, yeah. 
yeah. behavioral yeah. issues too. Yeah. But anyway, I it's could amazing. go on and on. But it's amazing it's, how far it's reaching. It's really exciting is. to see how much nutrition can play a role mm-hmm. in autism. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting. So for more success stories, more about how this plays out, your website is autismdietitian.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where else can people find you if they're really interested in this? Where should they go to learn more? Yeah, my website has a lot of awesome resources on there. Um, it also has a really, you can download a free resource whenever you um, get onto my website for the first time. There's a great download there. Um, but also, I'm the most active on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I um, have a, a page, the Autism Dietitian Facebook page. And so I would say go there. I'm posting daily some really great inspirational articles, some of my blog posts, some research, um, some helpful tips. That is where most of my clientele is, is on Facebook. I do have an Instagram account and I think I have a Twitter account too. Those are more inactive just because I have so much more of my audience that's on Facebook. And Mm -hmm. so I I just really like to connect there and it feels like a big community there. So Mm -hmm. find me on Facebook, um, find me on my website, of course. And if anybody is interested in either referring a client to me um, or if you know, seeing me yourself or your child, Mm -hmm. you can schedule a free 30 minute consult on my website as well. So um, I offer that to all my new clients so that I can just give them a good idea of what we'd be working on and what I'm all about um, just so they can know what my goals are for them. And so I can also understand their goals too. Yes, that is so important because this is not a one size fits all. It's the furthest thing from, furthest thing from, yes. So in closing, Britain, of this info-packed podcast, all of these great resources, ideas, what would you leave people with if there was a message of, you know, perhaps hope or a possibility? If someone is struggling with nutrition, with someone they love, what would you say? I would say that's normal. Yeah. (laughs) With autism, you're going to have struggles and it's just the way that you respond to them and the way that you view them. I think that it's easy to get bogged down by a lot of therapies in autism. You have speech and occupational therapy and ABA and social groups and um, a GI doctor and uh, a dietitian, you know, all these things. And it feels so overwhelming. And I see that. And I, I remember growing up with my brother and seeing all the therapies that he had to do and it was a lot and so what I always like to tell my clients is sometimes we'll get some really severe results back on these panels and the way that I want to view it is hopeful Hmm. thinking there's so much here that we can correct and there's so much here that we can work with it gives us so much hope that there's a a lot of difference that we can make so Mm -hmm. um, I always just encourage my clients to view it in that light is that it's okay to to be overwhelmed that's why you have, you know, some healthcare providers that are here on your side that are helping you overcome this. It's not all on you, but um, just take those struggles as opportunities to be better in the future. And um, it's all the way you look at it and all the way that you have a good healthcare team around you to support you. Um, because I, I love being a part of my client's life. And I, a lot of times, play more of a role than just dietitian. I play the role of counselor and friend and Sometimes they just need a little bit of support and community. And Mm. so um, it's okay if you feel 
lonely and you feel stressed out, just finding the right team and finding the right support is, you know, the best thing you can do for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. There's a huge community out there. I want to plug in actually a really awesome app. Yeah. Do it. Um, it's called Wolf and Friends and it is quite amazing and I have been so inspired by it. Um, it was, it's an app that was built by, I believe it's uh, two mothers who have children that have developmental disabilities. I think one has autism, but it's uh, when you sign up as a parent, it's not only a, um, a way to connect with other parents who have kids with developmental disabilities or autism or ADHD or whatever it is, you can connect with parents in your area, but you can also find specialists there too. So um, like I'm on there, my business is on there. And so people in my area can find me easily. I see clients outside of San Francisco, of course, across Mm -hmm, the nation, but mm -hmm. um, it's just a good way to get hooked in with good specialists, hooked in with a good community. Uh, I think there are like local meetups. It's just really great. So if somebody's struggling to find community and just needs some support there, uh, for people who understand where they're coming from mm-hmm. and the struggles that they have, I would say definitely join that. It's free for parents, which oh, is cool. Phenomenal. So, um, so we'll not sponsored. Just yeah. really think that they're awesome. So yes, that's that's great to know. Thank you. So send me the link for that because I want to put it in yeah. the um yeah below the episodes. People can go there and navigate as well as your website. So definitely, Britton Coleman. Thank you. Thank nice. you. Thank, thank you. You are so really really a gift. And yeah, I would also encourage people to go and check out your website, your Facebook page, plug in, get into community and don't go it alone. Because as you can tell, there's lots out there to explore that can help. So really appreciate your time, Britain. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi there. Sarah Fahara here, owner of Nourished Brain Solutions. It's my goal with this podcast to explore strategies for empowered and well-informed food and eating decisions. If this information has been supportive to you, please share with your friends and leave me a review up on iTunes. To learn more about how food is impacting the way you feel on a day-to-day basis, head over to my website at www.nourishedbrainsolutions.com for a free copy of my food mood journal. We'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.